0: Donald Trump is a draft dodger, a dishonorable coward unfit to be commander-in-chief. He attacked John McCain, who was tortured for five years in a North Vietnam hellhole, and refused early release unless every American was released.
1: He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war hero. Five and a half years He's a war PSW hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay?
0: He refused to visit the cemetery of our fallen in France, saying, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. He accused the heroes who served in Iraq of stealing millions to make themselves rich. Trump said of Americans who died fighting for their country. I don't get it. What was in it for them? He mocks our generals.
1: I know more about ISIS than the generals, believe me.
0: Trump referred to President George H.W. Bush as a loser. No Trump family member has ever served in the military. On November 3rd, it's time to throw this loser coward out of our White House.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. That was an ad by disgruntled Republicans who called themselves the Lincoln Project. We are just days away from the American election. If you're listening to this before or after November the 3rd, it doesn't matter. What I want to highlight is that political dialogue in America has changed probably forever. The nasty, vitriolic nature of the campaign is unprecedented. I've been reporting for a long time and have never seen anything quite like it anywhere. Cruel, caustic, bitter language. It reflects the deep political divide in the U.S. Probably no one has set the stage for this, created the environment more than the tweeting President Trump. Over the last four years, Trump has attacked everyone, from his own administration, to political opposition, to the media, to foreign governments and leaders. No one has been immune. And it has troubled many within even his own party. Some of them have come out to record messages against Trump, some in favor of Biden, Some have supported the Lincoln Project, which has even turned out ads not only directed at voters, but even Trump himself. There's a bit of psychology in this ad.
1: Nobody likes me. It can only be my personality, that's all. We warned you, Donald. Warned
0: you. But you didn't listen. It's over. And now you're losing. losing. Not just the election, you're losing everything. Everything. Kaylee and Meadows know you can't handle real interviews, and they laugh that you don't get
1: it. So it's person, (laughs) woman, man, camera, TV.
0: (laughs) They know it's over. Everyone does. Smaller crowds, crowds, lower lower polls, polls. embarrassing ratings. Mitch McConnell already told his senators it's time to dump you. Republicans are abandoning ship. You think these people care what happens to you? You think the leaks are done? Everything you've screwed up is going to come out. Every secret is going to be told. Your secret.
1: Change of story is a lack of preparation, the lying, the holy...
0: They've got a party to salvage and careers to rescue. We told you they were whispering about you. Well, they don't have to whisper anymore because everyone knows. Everyone. everyone. Except, Except you. you. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.
2: It's remarkable political advertising targeting a sitting president by his own former Republican Party organizers. So in this edition of Backstory, we talk to the Lincoln Project. And note, this is an election campaign like no other. All right, I want to introduce you to Ron Stetslow, and he joins us from Park City, Utah. Hi, Ron.
1: Hey, Dana. Great to be with you.
2: So you were one of the original founding members of the Lincoln Project. Can you tell me how this got started?
1: that's right uh, well um, there were a series of conversations early on and Reed Galen is uh, is, a, is one of the co-founders who I'd worked with in the past he's the captain on the ship and he brought me in uh, shortly before that op-ed launched uh, on December 17th in 2019 and um, I don't think that any of us could have predicted what happened uh, after that after that piece dropped and the groundswell of of grassroots support that um, that we encountered right after that New York so
2: Times editorial um, written right. by you guys. Patriotism, yeah. the survival of our nation in the face of crimes, corruption and corrosive nature of Donald Trump are a higher calling than mere politics. As Americans, we must stem the damage he and his followers are doing to the rule of law, the constitution and the American char- uh, character. Is, yeah. is that an over dramatization or do you feel it goes to the kind of core of who you are?
1: Oh, no, I think it's perfectly accurate. And I think that the headline was powerful as well, which was we are Republicans and we want Trump defeated. And I think uh, not I very think, subtle, not very subtle at all. And you know what? I think that's what the American people uh, were waiting to see. So some, some, they were waiting to see their elected officials in the Republican Party stand up to this president for all of the things they know he's doing wrong. And And we saw none of that, very, very little of that. And so uh, so we decided that if if the people that we had worked for to put in office weren't going to stand up and tell truth to power and put country over party, that we would do that.
2: So I'm reading about you. Fortune wrote that you you set yourself up for a long career as a man who pulls the strings for the Republican Party. At 33 years old, you had run a 50 million. Dollar Senate races, worked for the National Republican Senatorial Committee, but behind the scenes, he had been struggling with his personal identity and the identity of the party he grew up with. So, what was the identity crisis?
1: Well, first of all, I should say that Fortune embellished that just a little bit. Uh, But uh, the identity crisis was, uh, you know, twofold. Um, I grew up in a in a conservative evangelical home as a as a as a gay man, and and then inherited my sort of republican politics from that culture and so a lot of my first work in in politics was with uh very conservative evangelical politicians john ensign was my first boss in politics he was a senator from nevada harry reid's counterpart and uh and famously um sort of his career went down in flames after a scandal where he had an affair with his chief of staff's wife and then uh, tried to cover it up by Getting his uh his chief of staff a lobbying job, which is a violation sure. of federal law. And so I, you know, over the course of my career, I sort of had to work through a lot of friction. I mean, that's
2: that's found in both parties, by the way. These yeah, of course, of things. course
1: it's found in both parties. But you know, Dana, I can only speak to my experience. And uh and I had to deconstruct not just my uh my 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 religious identity that I inherited but also my political identity while working in Republican politics. And so, uh, um, yeah, that was a, a long and very personal um, journey. So are you still at heart a Republican?
2: Or is it because of Trump you're an independent now? Or how, how would you classify what you've become? I, and and how does that play out in what you're doing at the Lincoln Project?
1: Yeah, um, after 2016, so I ran all of the marketing and branding for uh, Carly Fiorina's 2015 presidential campaign. When Donald Trump became the nominee, I realized that the story that I had been telling myself about my work in the Republican party was that I could do more good to change the direction of the party from the inside that I could from the outside. And when Donald Trump became the nominee, I realized that that just wasn't true, that I it was a delusion. And that in fact, the party, had always only cared about winning, that winning was all that mattered. And Donald Trump was actually the culmination of many, many years of working in that direction. You may be familiar with Stuart Stevens, who's a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, who just wrote a book called, It Was All a Lie. And his thesis in that book is that Donald Trump isn't an aberration. He's actually the product of the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of Republican politics and and it isn't, it isn't a fluke that we ended up with him. And so I- uh, Do you I believe registered.
2: that? I mean, is it is it his nastiness that is the product or- is-
1: So I don't think it's his nastiness. I think his nastiness is a product of his narcissistic personality disorder. I think Donald Trump's uh, embodiment of an idea that winning is all that matters is actually the culmination of Republican politics, yes. And if you look back at the Southern Strategy and the way the the party co-opted the church in the South in order to to peel off white Democrats because they realized they were never going to win in a national election ever again, you realize that what becomes uh, what becomes gospel a lot of times in Republican politics is what worked at an electoral level, not because it has any underpinnings in philosophy or or conservative ideology. So um, so I think it is the Pursuit of power at all costs that Donald Trump embodies. And that is exactly what we mean when we say Trumpism, and it exactly what we mean when we say we're going to defeat it.
2: Donald Trump would probably say it is the pursuit of, you know, his defeat at all costs when he takes a look at some of the, the ads by the Lincoln Project. I mean, you know, I'll play a, a few of them as part sure. of the segment, but I mean, sure. I've been a journalist for a few decades. I have never seen, and you you tell me if you've seen shadows of this in past campaigns. I mean, I guess there were some, but these are tough, muscular, cutting, uh, really, I mean, wow ads. I look at them when I see them on Twitter most of the time and I just go, wow, how did they come up with that? And that's just yeah. cuts Trump to the quick when I
1: see them. Yeah, yes. I mean, what's the question? Absolutely, they are. Somebody had it's to- It's unprecedented,
2: stuff we're seeing.
1: Yes I, I think that's totally fair and I think it's it's also fair to say that the movement, the project uh, that we have created and that millions of Americans have have come to support this is this is not normal for a, for a super PAC. this is not how political uh, political entities usually operate this is this is something very, very special. Um, but as Rick Wilson noted at our Cooper Union events, uh, Uh, I think he said, in the words of the political philosopher, Liam Neeson, we have a particular set of skills. And I think that's (laughs) what we see in the ads. So let me just clarify that these ads, you know most people see the very uh, tough, muscular, biting ones, as you mentioned, which are designed to take Donald Trump off his game. They're designed to derail the Trump machine. They're designed to get in their heads. And that's exactly what they do. Our first breakout ad, Morning in America. Did exactly that, and that's why that's partly why the Lincoln Project has been so successful because we proved that we knew how to live rent-free in. I mean, some of them speak
2: directly to some of them speak directly to Trump, right? I mean, the the loyalty problem speaks directly to Trump. That ad—it's kind of paranoia, worrying that he's sinking fast. There's psychology in that ad.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, there is, Uh, and you know, it's it's. He's predictable in that he can't resist when he is being when he's when he's being jabbed or baited. It's it's almost like you lay down a rake and every single one he'll step right on it and it smacks him in the face. He just can't resist, and that's because of his his narcissistic personality disorder. You know, I had a conversation with Mary Trump about this exact thing. His his niece who wrote who wrote the book. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name now. Um,
2: yeah, she wrote her too book, much, which was,
1: too, yeah, too much and never enough. Yeah. How my family created the most, the, the world's most dangerous man. And she gives some, some tremendous insights into the, into essentially the, uh, the, 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 the mental illness of the president of the United States, which is, you know, it, it ought to terrify everyone. Um, but, but I want to be clear about these ads because, the ones that you're talking about are the ones that uh, that that most people see on Twitter, and the Lincoln Project is is sort of like an iceberg, and those ads are the tip of the iceberg, and they're the visible part. But there's a whole machine underneath. That can is, you that, can
2: you tell me because as we speak to you from London, yeah. we don't see everything that's published. Like right. I know you, right. I know for instance, for instance, the Lincoln Project did these billboards. Yes. Uh, in 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 New York, in and uh, I mean that was very personal, right? I, yes. I think.
1: Yes. Yeah. The, look, the billboard. That the President's
2: daughter, Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Sorry.
1: Yes. Yes. And just so everyone's clear, you can go look up the Lincoln Project billboards. I'm sure you'll find the pictures of them.
2: Yeah. Was that but fair, do you think?
1: Absolutely. It was fair. Yes, absolutely. It was fair. Uh, I think most people have given Jared Kushner a pass for his role in the mishandling of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. You know, he was running a shadow task force uh, behind Mike Pence. And one of his jobs was to secure PPE, personal protective equipment for frontline workers, healthcare workers in New York. And you know what he said when he was asked about that? When, when he was asked about why New Yorkers haven't received, where, where's the PPE? He said, Cuomo's people didn't pound the phones hard enough. And so they're going to suffer and that's their problem.
2: And then, and then then he's been quoted now in these tapes as saying, you know, we just we had to get the doctors out once we yeah. got the, the, the yeah. medical, the doctors yeah. out of the conversation yeah. on COVID-19. He certainly At had a, a huge role in all of this.
1: Yes, yes. At a moment when Americans are desperate for accurate scientific medical information, mm-hmm. he's saying Trump is going to take the country back from the doctors, meaning we're going to make it all about Donald Trump again. Not about the doctors. Not about the scientific evidence. Not about what Americans can do to keep themselves safe. Let's make it back about Donald Trump again. What are the yeah. ads you haven't run?
2: Where when you sit around the table, is there like an editorial board where you sit around for six, eight people and you kind of go, "No, we're not going to do that one." Are there
1: limits? Are there red lines? Uh, I think that the limits are uh, how effective the ads are at their at their intended purpose. And so, as I alluded to, the the ads that we're talking about, the tip of the iceberg, the really cutting ads, like whispers that are designed for an audience of one, designed to get in the president's head, uh, that's one lane. But there's another lane of ads that are designed to speak directly to the American people, directly to the demographics uh, and geographic areas that we know are moving directly against the president. And when you look at, when you look, the, the reason COVID is so powerful as a messaging tool is because it's the thing that everybody cares about right now, obviously. So when you look at where COVID is spiking around the country, which states and which counties and which cities, we have noticed our political team, which is just brilliant, have noticed a direct correlation between where COVID spikes and where Donald Trump's positives decline substantially. And so they have designed this brilliant strategy of essentially buying into the spike, which means we take these ads that speak directly to the experience of the American people.
0: Donald Trump will never change. Over 200,000 Americans dead. Trump said COVID-19 affects almost nobody. But then he got it. His wife got it. His press secretary got it. His debate team got it. His White House staff got it. Trump turned the White House into a hot zone. Now Trump is still trying to convince us that the greatest public health threat in over a century isn't a big deal, while he gasps for air fresh from the hospital. Americans know there's a lot more wrong with Donald Trump than just having COVID-19. He doesn't care about others, can't lead, can't plan, can't face the truth. Donald Trump will never change. He's killing us. This year, Vote like your life depends on it.
1: As a result of Donald Trump's mis- mismanagement, and, and I I think it's important to note lying about this pandemic, because he knew early on, he told Bob Woodward, this thing's a killer. If it gets you, he knew how serious it was. And then he continued to lie and mislead the American people. So,
2: Ron, I don't know, you know, here's the one bit of expertise I have that you don't. And that is I've yeah. worked in foreign countries all my life covering the news and covering American Diplomacy, how they go in and teach people about democracy and human rights. Yeah. And then they are the police, the policemen of the planet on that in yeah. many, many different areas, right? I mean, pushing back against Russia and other. Yeah. So you have now, I guess, turned the corner on political dialogue in America. Um, first of all, from President Trump, because we've never seen a president attack people personally as he has right. done. And right. then the Lincoln project probably has paved a new road. Um in, in terms of what's acceptable and what a normal, the new kind of normal is in terms of political campaigns. Do you mourn any of that?
1: I think Donald Trump has paved a new road in terms of what is acceptable for the president of the United States. Uh, I don't think uh, anyone would tell you that we set out to pave a new road. We set out to defeat this Well, you president.
2: did. You did, because I've never seen that kind of political ad before. The, I mean, they are, you know, cutting cutting edge stuff. i just I just never just not cutting edge in terms of effective. I mean, they are they cut Trump to the quick. I mean, there is their gloves full gloves off,, uh, you know, bare knuckle fight, right? Yes, yes, they are all right. So is is that are you comfortable with all of that, or do you hope that with a different presidency, whether it be Democrat or Republic, in the future, that this kind of political rhetoric goes away, or do you think this is the way you run campaign ads from now on?
1: I think that as long as the cancer of Trumpism ex- exists, it's going to take this kind of fight to defeat it. Uh, do I wish it wasn't necessary? Sure, but that's not where we are right now.
2: What if Trump wins? What happens to the Lincoln Project?
1: If Trump wins, then I think the Lincoln Project becomes more important than it was before. And, you know, there are there are so many things at stake in a in a Trump uh, second term. One of the things I worry about the most, beyond all of the authoritarian behavior, beyond the silencing of critics, beyond the you know the the destabilization of our institutions and the discrediting of truth, one of the things I worry about is what lessons the Republican Party learns and the new batch of politicians who are currently running for office learn about a second Trump victory. Because the Republican- What, what do party, they
2: learn? What, what's the answer? The,
1: the Republican party is an institution and, and, and it learns from victory. And the lesson, if Donald Trump wins, is that it was all okay. That that pursuit of power at all costs was all okay. That abandoning the principles that Abraham Lincoln uh f- famously made made clear at his Cooper Union address in February of 1860 in New York that that right makes might was meaningless. That might makes right. Yeah, I was just going to flip
2: that. that around for you yeah
1: absolutely. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, in his speech at the very end, as you know, he, he said,, uh, let us have faith that right makes might let us dare to do our duty as we understand it. And what he was saying in that speech is that a the moral high ground creates political power. And Donald Trump is the antithesis of that principle.
2: Not a lot of moral high ground there.
1: No, he's not interested in moral, he couldn't spot it with a telescope.
2: Where do you go from here, guys? I mean, you, we, we, as we speak, we're on the eve of this election do you yeah. now go into park kind of over the weekend and you watch no, it unfold?
1: Absolutely not. I wish we could, but there is way too much at stake and we're not taking our foot off the gas. Uh, as you've probably seen, some of the polls have started to tighten. Uh, the political map still looks very good. But one of the unique things about this political race is that the, the race has stratified and the map has flattened. And that's because a lot of this law and order rhetoric that uh, that he has used has, has worked for him in some places, but has backfired against him in other places. So it kind of makes choosing where to allocate resources on a state by state basis, kind of like whack-a-mole because the numbers are constantly shifting. And so, uh, so our, like I said, our political team has done a crack job at at being very very disciplined about where the numbers are are where our resources can be best used to move that 2 to 4% of republicans that we set out to move in the first place. And that that's another thing I think that gets lost in the narrative, which is we did not set out to win a plurality of voters. We don't have a candidate, right? We're not running a presidential campaign. We set out to peel off 2 to 4% of Republican voters from this president. And if we could do that, then we would be successful. Steve Bannon said in January, February to the Associated Press, exactly that. That if these guys, meaning us could peel off two to 4%, they would be a serious threat. That's what we set out to do is we started started referring to that marker as the Bannon line. And the Bannon line is exactly what we've tried to hit in every single battleground state. Uh, And I think you see that now. So, no, we're not taking our foot off the gas. We will not rest until Joe Biden is sworn in. Uh, And I think there's still the potential for some, uh, some fuckery, excuse my language, after the election in terms of not ballots being counted, but being contested. And you saw that from the president just yesterday, I believe, said, we should stop counting ballots on the evening of November 3rd. That's not how elections are run in this country. Of course not.
2: And, and, and historically, election. the mail-in ballots are counted. And it's That's just right. of course. this mirage that he's painting, which which undermines the whole democratic process. It right?
1: undermines the entire democratic process. And people believe him because, because Americans have, you know, we have a, a severe gap in civic understanding in this country. So when the president says, we should stop counting ballots after election day, that intuitively makes sense to a lot of people because they don't understand the mechanics of an election. But that's not how it works, that's no. not how it's ever worked.
2: Ron Steslow from the Lincoln Project. Ron, thanks so much for being generous with your time.
1: Thank you for having me, Dana. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you. And you know when I say I know about bullies, you
0: know about bullies, the kids who make fun. Bullies are cowards who tear others down. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, I don't remember. Knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously.
1: Okay, Just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise.
0: It's time for decency. It's time for Joe Biden.
1: And that's
2: this edition of Backstory. Subscribe and share our podcast. We appreciate your loyalty. I'm Dana Lewis, and I'll talk to you again soon.